Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. go back in time, the seasons past, when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score, which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of gridiron grace. Welcome to Gridiron Grace Football Historic Memorabilia on the Gridiron Greats Publisher and Broadcasting Network. In conjunction with Swick Enterprises, and we're live from the Wallingford, Connecticut home of Gridiron Greats Magazine. I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America which focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869, covering 150-plus years of football history and memorabilia. You'll find us on the web at gridirongreatsmagazine.com. It is at this time I'd like to introduce my co-host, the senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, a football memorabilia historian specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawk items, in particular Steve Larkin. He hails from Portland, Oregon. Mr. Joe Squires, Joe, welcome to the show this evening. Uh, always a pleasure, Captain. Always a pleasure. Yes. By the way, I forgot to mention, pre-show, got my uh, Gridiron Greats magazine in the mail on Monday. Always a pleasure to see Swick Enterprises in the upper left corner of an envelope like that. And our latest issue is available for sale. And people have been reading it, checking it out. And I'll start off immediately tonight by saying, if you're not a subscriber to Gridiron Greats Magazine, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Gridiron Greats Magazine. What are you Joe, Joe, we're going to lead off tonight on a Super Bowl of improbable conceptualization by me. After the game's... We saw this past Sunday. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Sorry, Catherine. Sorry, brother. Uh, winning isn't the only thing. It's 
it's everything from the man to the, you know, from the, the NFL champion, the, the trophies named after they hoist. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. second place. I, is, I, I, you know, yeah. I'm just in shock at the play calling that I saw. Oh. Having one of the best quarterbacks in the National Football League on your side and doing what you did. I, I, I'm, I'm just in a, in a total state of shock by the whole thing. I'm, I'm not happy by what I've seen. I've seen a lot of stuff online, too. Uh, Packer Nation is pretty upset with yep. uh, the team coaching. Obviously, you really got to question what's going on, and I do got to compliment Tom Brady, the ageless wonder, who... Uh, <laughs> who's been in half the Super Bowls of his, in his career. I mean, that, that's really what it comes down to. Can you, can you believe that? I mean, 18 years of playing, or 19 years of playing, excuse me, uh, he's been in 10 Super Bowls. Their, their first Super Bowl win, obviously, you know, against, uh, you know, against the Rams in that classic, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the classic gun show, you know, 2002, yep. the, Rams yep. unstoppable, uh, you know, just airing it out. That uh, you know, and it was appropriate for them to win that one in 2002. It was uh, after September 11th. Everybody was rooting yep. for, you know, you know, the Patriots. That that seemed, you know, that seemed very appropriate. Uh, but yeah, this guy just keeps popping up. He's, you know, on the one hand, I I like dynasties. I've told you that before, but. Yeah, man, this guy. We are we are witness to the greatest, not only player of our time, but probably the greatest player ever in the NFL. I don't know. Ten Super Bowl appearances. He's five and four in Super Bowls. That's, and, he's, and what, he's the greatest. And what's unheard of to me is okay. I can see in a way what the Patriots were doing, trying to move on. But I don't think they really moved on to anything constructive this past season. I think it was just, you know, pretty much they could have they could have gone with Brady one more year, and they probably yep. would have won again because, again, he was able to adapt to, uh, you know, a modified Buck system that that he you know he can excel in, and you know he hits pay pay dirt again. One of these days there'll be a tell-all book. Somebody will write it. And we'll know what went on behind closed doors, but we we don't know who moved on. Was it Brady right. moving on, or was it was it you know Hoodie who wanted to move on? Uh, right. We'll never know. I mean, was it Brady wanting to get out from under the shadow of of, of Hoodie? I, I, I we we don't know. To me, you you put this right. tandem together, this you know Belichick and and Brady. I mean, the greatest. I mean. It, it's hard for me to say things like the greatest ever and stuff around you. Lombardi, obviously, the greatest. Yep. But Belichick, I mean, think think what he what he's done. I mean, and pretty obvious having a star quarterback really really helps. Uh, right. I mean, we'll, we'll, you know, one of these days, hopefully, there'll be a book and we'll be able to hear somebody's side of the story about who moved on from who, who broke up with who. I mean, but right. looking back to the you know the days of the Packers, you know, with Brett Favre and. Uh, you know, and you know who who moved on from whom? I mean, you know, you had Aaron Rodgers riding the pine. You know, Green Bay decided to you know, all right, it's Rodgers' time, and Brett, you know, Brett had 
still had some gas in the tank, and he proved it. Right, right. And he proved that he proved that with two teams taking the Jets to, uh, I, I believe it was the yeah. AFC Championship game for the first time in I don't know how many years, and then with yeah. Minnesota, you know, you know, your arch rival, you end up you end up playing for them for whatever it was a couple of seasons, mm-hmm. and and again it, it was a, it was a situation where Favre still had it. He wanted to play. He wanted to prove to everybody he still had it. And I think a lot of these guys feel the same way. And, you know, again, you look at a quarterback, how many quarterbacks really spent their entire career with one team lately? Very few. Yeah. And Brady, of all Absolutely. people, I never never would imagine not being in the Patriots uniform, just like I never anticipated Peyton Manning not being in a in a Colts uniform and then ends up with the Broncos. You know, that type of situation. Obviously, I call Brett Favre, you know, Brett Favre right, from that movie, you know, something about Mary. It's kind of a nod to modern culture, but uh, you know, Favre uh, just, yeah, I think he has the uh, he's the only quarterback in NFL history to have beat every single team in the NFL, which is kind of right. a funny stat right. when you think of it. <laughs> uh, exactly, you know, including his old team, Packers. Play calling, yeah. and it reminded me of that Super Bowl. You know, the Seahawks lost. You know, uh, you know, the, you know, to the to, to the Patriots back in 2015. You know, uh, you know, bad play calling. Why are you know, you've got one of the greatest running backs? You've got, you know, you know, why are you throwing the ball? Why are you throwing the ball? I mean, and you just shake your head at bad play calling. And and you know, when they were interviewing David Butler, you know, the you know the you know the safety who picked that ball off. He was like, we practiced that in practice. I mean, you know, we had we had word that the Seahawks loved that inside slant, and we knew how they lined up, and you know, we knew you know what it looked like, and I knew where to go. We practiced it in practice a lot, right. and right. you know, and you know, you, you take beast mode off the field. He's not even there as a decoy. He's not even he's not even playing Terrell Davis, you know, with the Broncos as a decoy. You know, when he was blinded by migraines, you know, in the Super Bowl. You know, he's right. off the field and you try that inside plant. And as a Seahawks fan, I'm shaking my head. What the, what the hell? You know, you've got time on the board and you're down first and go, you know, you know, just ram it through, you know, make it happen. And same thing with right. calling. There were, there were a couple of, uh, I call them career, you know, decisions by like Aaron Rodgers. He probably mm-hmm. could have ran that in for a touchdown, but he chose to, you know, pull up a little bit. That's a, that's a career decision right there. You know, or, or, you know, and, and again, and, if, and, if I was if I was coaching that situation, I would just told Rogers, do whatever you got to do, get the ball over, and, and get the two points. It's on you. And that's it. And he probably would have. He probably would have easily done it. But again, yeah. I see a, a lot of metrics involved, a lot of probability, blah blah blah. And you know what? In a game that important, you shouldn't be wasting time on that. That's the way I look at it. Being old school, so that's yeah. it. And it's tough. You know, we were talking offline about, you know, the, you know, the, the, the fail safe for a coach to say is you get down there, you put points on the board. I think a lot yep. of fans are like, okay, it's a two score game, four minutes, you know, five minutes left, three timeouts. At some point you got to punch it in. You got Tom Brady on the other side. Right. We're down here close. You punch it in. I don't think there's many fans who would, you know, who would be pissed if, you know, the pack try to push that in on fourth down, they try right. to go for it. Uh, 
unless right. it's a horrible right. play call, unless it's, you know, unless it's lined up in an I formation, you know, telegraph what you're doing and trying to ram it down their throat. I mean, uh, you know, get creative. You've, you've got a you know, half a dozen plays in your, in your trick bag, you know, you know, option, you know, you know, tight formation, you know, peel the tight end out, you know, whatever yep. it is, you've got plays there. I don't think there's fans who would second guess a coach who rolls the dice and bets on the ability of their, of their professional players when they get down there in that position versus the exactly. career decision, which is to put points on the board. You can't question, well, we put points on the board. That's, right. The, right. that's the fail safe. That's the safe play. Well, sometimes you've got to roll the dice, you know, exactly. especially when Tom Brady works on the side. So, I don't know. It's, uh, it was disappointing to see the pack lose. You know, just because you're a dear friend, and uh, you know, I'm a I'm a Packer fan. They're they're a legacy. They're, you know, they're the Packers. They're the Green Bay Packers. You know, who doesn't yeah. love the Green Bay Packers? You're not an NFL fan if you don't. Uh, it's history. Uh, it's just like I'm, I'm a closeted Chicago Bears fan. How am I not a Bears yeah. fan? They're, you know, they're NFL history in the making. Yeah. It's easy for me not yeah. to like the Dallas Cowboys, obviously, because you know. No, I'm just kidding. That was for Steve. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, I don't know. It's tough. I feel bad. You know, it's uh, I remember a couple of years ago telling you a story about how I was in a store and a guy was wearing a, you know, 2005, you know, Seattle Seahawks jacket that said, you know, 2005 NFC champs. You know, we lost yeah. that Super Bowl. Yeah. Steelers. Yeah. I was like, dude, you don't wear an NFC champ jacket. You know, second yeah. place. Nobody cares about, you know, nobody remembers who the NFC champ was. Yeah. Nobody remembers who came in second in the Masters, you know. The other. Exactly. You know, it's, it's you know, don't celebrate second place, you know. It's, it, yes, right. it's impressive. You, you, you know, you're the best in the NFC, but it's not the best. It's, I don't know. Exactly. It kind of me. You know, it's tough. Exactly. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our special guest is here, and we're going to move on. Our special guest this evening has one of the largest collections of over 1,400 custom football McFarland statues, with 90% of them being Hall of Famers. Our guest hails from Canada. I'd like to welcome to the show this evening, Mr. John Sanchez. John, welcome to the show this evening. Hi, guys. How are you, John? Pleasure to be on. After- Afternoon, John. Maybe? Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, my, my pleasure. It's uh, I, I, I'm very passionate about this collection, and I think it very well embodies the message that your magazine is trying to put out, uh, honoring the great players of the past. So um, it's my pleasure to be on. John, uh, I think by the PDF booklet you sent me, you are – you know, passionate about this is an understatement, my friend. Thank you. You, you are, you are the, you are the expert, and I'm going to lead off right now by asking you: How did you get started collecting these uh, amazing pieces of statues and, and uh, just this great? It, well, it, it, it was, it was a, yep, it was a long journey. Um, actually, uh, even though I currently live in Canada, I grew up in in South Florida. I grew up in Miami in the 1960s, and during that period, I developed a, a very strong love for the game of football. I, I had an uncle who went to the University of Miami, 
and uh, he would take us to the games. It was during the George Myra age, if you remember who he was. They had played for the San Francisco 49ers. And uh, I also would watch the NFL games on CBS, uh, mostly Washington Redskins, and you'd see, you know, the Bobby Mitchells and the uh, Sonny Jorgensen's play. Um, when they played the Packers, Bart Starr, Paul Horning. So I, I began to have a love for the, the great players of the, of the past. Um, as time went on, uh, actually in 1969, I had my brother, I have a twin brother who's also a collector, uh, who we got three tickets to go to the Super Bowl. So we were in the Miami uh, Orange Bowl in 1969 when uh, Namath uh, defeated the Colts under Shula. And, of course, wow. in 1967, when the Dolphins came to town, I, I became a huge Miami Dolphins fan and uh, got season tickets. And uh, so it was a combination of those factors that led me to want to do something in football. But fortunately or unfortunately, I think it's fortunately, I, I met a young lady and we fell in love. And uh, seven kids later, um, <laughs> it, was tough, it was tough to <laughs> come up with the money to uh, – uh, you know, you had to pay for the tuitions in college, seven of them, plus graduate school and two weddings. I had two daughters as well. And so my journey for collection really was delayed until 2002. So it took, it took me a while. I was uh, in my early 50s when uh, my wife said, yep, it's time. You can, you can create your, cave, your man cave. And uh, I remember receiving the first McFarlane, which was a Ricky Williams uh, McFarlane. Uh, that Ricky Williams one looks good. Yeah, it was one of uh, Todd McFarlane's first figure, figurines from the from his series, and um, but most of his figures were stars of the day. Uh, even though some of them ended up becoming Hall of Famers, um, like the first uh, Warren Sapp was the first figurine ever created by Todd McFarlane, and he's in the Hall of Fame. And the second one was Kurt Warner. So uh, at least his first two were in the Hall of Fame. But uh, most of them were not Hall of Famers. And as a result of that, uh, eBay actually, I started to see on eBay the production of custom McFarlane's. And these would be artists that would take a standard McFarlane figurine. These are six-inch figurines, and they would customize them to reflect the new player, and a, a number of them uh, were Hall of Famers. So I started to buy up, and for a five-year period, I probably was the leading buyer of custom McFarlane's on uh, on eBay. But most of them didn't know the old players. You know, they, they didn't know a Joe Gunyan or a, a, you know, a Fats Henry. So in order to complete my collection, I actually began to commission some of these Hall of Famers um, to create the the ones that nobody ever knew about, and uh, and that was a lot of fun because, in fact, this is where your magazine came and was very helpful because I was able to research. I would provide the the artists because they didn't know most of them were young young guys with the information of the uniforms, their style, their poses. Um, so your magazine was very helpful in that in that process. And uh, by, I would say, 2015, I had collected every Hall of Fame class 
from 1963 to 2015, and in fact, in many cases, had multiple uh, individuals within that, and began to expand that collection into dioramas where I would take multiple uh, Hall of Famers and put them into one setting. Uh, so that pretty much uh, led me to, <laughs> to where we're at today. Wow. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You know, it's interesting um, to, to share with our audience. You sent us a presentation, the book yeah. uh, that you had. And I, I tell you, I, I thought I knew a little bit about McFarland's, but I, I really did not comprehend. I didn't really understand how, how deep it is until I read your book there as far as all the different artists and all the different timelines for the different types of production of, uh, you know, uh, Savino, so on and so forth in, in the statue market. I, I, was, I had a no, no idea about that. It was, it was pretty amazing to, to read and to, to, to uh, look at at the same time. So um, that's an amazing part yeah. of your collection also. So mm. I'm both. I think, I think so, a lot of your collectors would know the, the collecting market for figurines started with in the 1960s with Heartland creating figurines, right. and then in the 80s, the starting lineup yeah. came out. But both of those weren't very detailed. What, what Todd yep. McFarlane was able to do was to make these look very, very realistic. And then the artists that, that customized McFarlane make them even more realistic, especially reflecting the older players, because you don't want to have uh, Jim Thorpe with the face of uh, Tom Brady, right? So they had to somehow... Right. Find find uh, parts that would make the old timers in this collection look old timers <laughs> rather than young. Hmm. Yeah, that yeah, it's pretty cool. Like like you mentioned, the SLUs. You know, I used to collect a couple of those. The starting lineups, uh, you know, they were a lot shorter than these. Um, did you say you have seven kids? I have seven kids and nineteen grandchildren. So that's why we can't leave Canada because <laughs> as much as wow. my family's still in South Florida and I go down every so often for dolphin games, but um, not, not obviously not with COVID now, but um, I can't leave my 19 grandkids that are in, uh, in Canada, but all of them are dolphin fans. So that's good. Nice. Well, John with seven kids. <laughs> seven kids, it's nice to see you have a hobby outside of the McFarlands. Uh, <laughs> Bob, Bob mentioned, you know, the, the book that you sent us, the 30-page book, and I looked at that quite a few times after you emailed it to me. First of all, it was 300 meg. I think it took like three minutes for me to download it, so thank you for sending right. in that, uh, you know, on that drop-off. <laughs> but just incredible. Um, how, how did these get made? I mean, uh, you know, it's uh, on page four of this booklet. You've got to, you know, you've got them rolled out on a piece of paper, and it looks like you you kind of piece them together based on you know what it looks like. Right. Well, arms. what what happens? What happens, Bob and Joe, is that the artist first first of all, I would submit to the artist uh, a picture of the player and the description with colors of the uniform and so forth, and then they would get a standard McFarlane that you could pick up at Toys R Us for 10 bucks, let's say, and they would essentially strip that McFarlane, disassemble it, and repaint it based on the 
uh, color scheme and information that I would provide them. And uh, it's a long process. Normally it would take an artist probably, you know, three or four days to complete uh, the reconfiguration of a standard McFarlane. And uh, I I suspect the McFarlane company probably likes this because there's still people are still buying McFarlane's to be able to make these customs. And because it's a work of art, um, it's not considered any infringement on uh, on any rights either from the NFL or the McFarlane itself. Oh, I hadn't even I thought wondered. about that as, you know, like, infringement like that. Huh. I always wondered about that, and that makes sense now as far as as far as far uh, being able to do it. So um, that, that was, that's definitely enlightening to, to know that. So I can see why yes. they, they, they've been able to do it for such a long time. That's, that's pretty neat, to say the least. Yeah, so you're not piecing these together. You're you're, you're still no. You're still I'm I'm not the these. artist. I commission oh. the artist to, as I said, I that's where your magazine would come in, along with some other reference books. I would, you know, I would look up what Fat Henry's uh, uniform looked like, what his facial features were, what his body shape was, and provide all that to the artist. They would then find the standard McFarland that best resembles that or they may take a couple of them hmm. and uh, disassemble them, strip them of the paint and then repaint them to reflect the the player that I wanted. Otherwise I would never, McFarlane would never have produced a uh, a Guy Chamberlain for instance. Like, they would never have happened. Well, yeah, I mean that makes, that, that definitely makes sense to them. So I'm wondering why they never, they never decided to go with older players. Do you, get, well, do you have any uh, be, thoughts on that? Yeah. Oh, sure. Uh, first of all, this McFarlane Toy Company is huge. They they make action figures for, like, the Walking Dead series. So oh, yeah. They're, they're well, limited oh, yeah. okay. in terms of – so every year they would produce now maybe seven or eight players. They did finally – I think a couple of years later, produced a legend series. So there are some, yeah. like a Bart Starr or a Dick Buckus, but none of the old players, not a Jim Thorpe, not a Red Grange, you know, none of those players that uh, that we all fell in love with. So, you know, a Bill Hewitt without his helmet on, you know, that would <laughs> not have fallen. Like the, the market for that would have been very limited. They, they were going after the kids that, you know, see a Tom Brady and, uh, so I think Tom Brady's been on there three or four times already uh, in terms yeah. of the McFarlane. But, uh, so, uh, so my collection are, is different from that end. And these are fascinating, Bob. I went on the McFarlane website, you know, a couple of days ago. I mean, they, you know, they've got Walking Dead, Game of Thrones, you know, Marvel Comics, DC Universe, I mean, Flash. Uh, I mean, it's fascinating. You know, just, you know they, they've got – I mean, they, I don't even think they have a section on their website for NFL anymore, do they? They they do, but it's again limited. They they uh, like I said maybe four or five players a year, and usually it's the the hot players of that year. Right. You know, right. Mariota. Uh, they had a Manziel when he first came into the league. You know, they would try to anticipate you know who's going to be hot, but they really 
didn't do justice from uh, the old timers, you know, Sammy Barr or uh, Ollie Matson or uh, yeah. Ray Hirsch. You know, they they would just never do that. I had to find the artists that were capable, and um, and that's how the collection expanded. Because otherwise, I would have been very limited. I, there's no way I could have ever so, completed all the Hall of Famers. So how? How do you? How are you able to get McFarland to customize these for you? I mean, can anyone do that? Can anyone order these or ask for customization? Yeah, if you, all you need to do, guys, and I, I know you do this, just go on eBay and Google or type in custom McFarland. Like I did that yesterday. There are three hundred custom McFarlands on eBay as as we speak. So anybody can buy wow. them. They vary in price from fifty dollars to four hundred dollars. But, again, you would be hard-pressed to find an old-time Hall of Famer. You may find the occasional uh, Paul Warfield, Nick Bonacani, but if you go back to the, you know, starting class, then you're not going to find those. The Leo Nominelli, those are not going to be – those you would have to commission with the artist and, and say, this is, this is the player I want, this is the stats, this is uh, information that you need to be able to put it together. And then I got comfortable with three or four. Uh, I, I may have bought from 20, but there were three or four that were really, you know, there's one guy that every one of his pieces is almost like a museum piece. John, I know you're for real. You pronounced Nick Bonacani's last name correctly. Well done. There you go. One of my favorite dolphins of all time. And yeah, I'm kidding. Yeah. Yeah. John, yeah. how do you, how do you actually display your and store these pieces? Um, I could tell by seeing you know what you um, what you presented to us, but can you describe to our audience how you actually do that? Sure, I'm, I'm sure this is the biggest challenge that that all collectors have, but especially with over you know over a thousand pieces, um, I ended up renovating my basement with three large uh, ceiling-to-wall bookcases. I bought 10 of the IKEA display cases, and they have like a a locker room-style small cabinet and use that. And uh, the one that I had the most fun with was I found a manufacturer out of Michigan who would create like a plexiglass, shadow box and then I provided them with the Hall of Fame's name and team and stats and he would etch them in the front of the plexiglass so every inch of wall that wasn't covered by the bookcases uh, I had this um, shadow box with the player inside Um, secondly because I knew who these players were I mean I could walk around my museum and know exactly who the player was Anybody that would visit the house would have no clue. So I had to come up with a scheme to identify who the players were. And I started initially using some of my cards that I had collected over the years. But, you know, not not every Hall of Famer has a card. So I I actually began, and these I did myself, I began customizing Hall of Fame cards using old style, like the Mayo style or the Bowman style uh, so yeah. each, each Hall of Famer has his own custom card. And then uh, you may or may not know that back in the early days with the Hall of Fame, 
every player got a statue, but they also got a enshrinement mural. In fact, I was listening to one of your podcasts where I think he was the Cleveland Browns um, uh, collector with Jim Brown, yep. and he had got his enshrinement mural. So I, I, I was able to secure over a period of time copies of every mural, and I used that in the background of the player. So whoever visits my museum would then see the player's name and a picture of the, the uh, mural in the background of the player. So that was kind of cool. Interesting. That's pretty cool because I noticed you had the same kind of background scene in the booklet. You had a lot of them, you know, the same background scene with, uh, yeah, those, you know, those your, actually were not, that's not the background in the booklet was I had a catalog every player. So I used a, the, the same background, but that's not the background that the player is displayed at. That's just for my cataloging purposes. As you can imagine, you could lose this pretty quickly if I didn't know, know, uh, you know, where they were and so forth. So I, I used the, the same background to catalog the players, but then I would take them from that and put them in their own case with their Hall of Fame mural as their background. How interesting. Yeah, I noticed that. I began to notice a pattern with a referee, you know, kind of crouching down. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. And that's just a common. That was just a, back, a background that I found to use just to – but they're not displayed that way. They're displayed in uh, – with her Hall of Fame mural in the background. Yeah. I, 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 our next question is, you know, what are your top six? But I, I, I kind of made a note on what my favorite ones were, and I wanted to run them over with you and get your input, what you thought. Sure. Uh, the Johnny Unitas one with his arm cocked back looks so good. That, that one is just yeah. spot on. That's Unitas. That's his throwing style. That was really well done. Absolutely. Yeah, that was an artist uh, out of actually your your area. And uh oh, nice. Joe Gunning is his name and uh he he if you remember in my information to you I, I rated the <laughs> the artist and he was the one that was most cre- most uh, creative and uh I like his work because he would put them in styles that you wouldn't see. If you took a standard McFarlane receiver or quarterback, they wouldn't have that style. And yeah. uh, he was able to embed, uh, uh, create that with uh, without uh, uh, made him look very realistic. Yeah, and I'll share some of these with our listeners later on our our vintage, you know, football card uh, website. You know, uh, there's one of Todd Tobias will love of Lance Allworth catching a ball and you know cradling in what I assume is a touchdown pass because Lance Allworth was yes. really good at catching touchdown passes. That one looked very good as well. I really like that one. Yeah, uh, very good. The, the Red Grange one looks good. He looks a little thicker than normal, but it, it still, I love the colors that got picked. Uh, the classic, you know, 77 looked awesome. Uh, my second favorite, Dwight Clark, the catch, that looks so good. I mean, and it was so well done. Uh, and just him jumping up with, uh, it's not named in it, but, you know, Everson Walls standing there watching, you know, and, you know, just a lesson in futility is Dwight Clark jumps, you know, 10 feet up and catches a ball that was, you know, intended to go out of bounds. Just that one looks really good. I like that one. And then obviously I'm sure you would agree, you know, and you probably get a lot of requests to buy this one, but the Steve Largent one, you know, where he's diving <laughs> to the right 
<laughs> well, I, I thought Joe would like that, yeah. I thought Joe would like that. Again, but, what uh, I assume is a record-breaking 100th touchdown pass, breaking Don Hudson's record. Uh, and his, you know, white home uniform, just uh, really, really well done. That's probably my favorite. I'm sure everybody who would peruse through that catalog would agree. It's probably the best-looking one. That's this. It's really <laughs> impressive. Those ones caught my eye, but you know, being uh, candid, the, the, Dwight Clark, the, the Dwight Clark to catch one is probably my favorite. You know, your your question, Bob, is like asking me, you know, who's my favorite uh, child out of, out of seven? Like, I, I have picked six, but it's very difficult. And all the ones that you that you mentioned, um, I would have. I could have easily put into my top ten. They, 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 these were very well done and reflected. I have a few other red ranges that body size were probably a little bit more um, symmetric to what what he looked like. But uh, you know, sometimes these are artists, right? So they take liberty sometimes in terms of yeah, how yeah. they create them. Right, right, right. Yeah. Let's kick it to you then, John. What are your favorites? Yeah. Well. As I began the collection, you know, most of the McFarlands were individual players, and they would be in a stance. It came to me later on that wouldn't it be cool to have McFarlands and these great players in combination of each other, uh, kind of in a diorama type of approach. So uh, my absolutely favorite is one that I, that I commissioned uh, from a painting done by Richard Marks, who's a uh, well-known sports artist called Doped in the Boys, and it's uh, showing the four Hall of Famers from Detroit, Bobby Lane, Luke Peekmore, Dick Stansell, and Doped Walker sitting on a bench during the 1952 championship game. And the detail on this is unbelievable. It's like like you're almost there. You can see the the till in the air. They're they're wearing their winter coats. It's it's an amazing piece and uh, probably my favorite of of the dioramas. Uh, Bob, Bobby second, Lane sitting on the end of the bench, the blonde bomber, yeah, you know, yeah, just, you know yeah, blonde you, hair just looks good. Yeah. If you just look up Dope and the Boys and Richard Marks, you would see the painting that, that inspired that uh, that piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second mm-hmm. one was a similar similar type of, uh, uh, there's a, a photo of uh, three great Packers, and I call it Hudson and the Boys, yep. and that's Don Hudson, Clark Hinkle, and Tony Canada sitting on a bench, uh, there's a, a fire going on. It's uh, it's a it's a very nice piece, and and certainly if you're a Packer fan, <laughs> I'm sure they would uh, they would love to have that for sure. The, the third is actually very similar uh, in the 1948 NFL Championship game, which w- should have been called off because of a blizzard. Uh, right. I entitled this the Philly Blizzard, and it shows two Hall of Famers, Pete Fios and Steve Van Buren along with somebody who should be in the Hall of Fame, Bucko Kilroy, an old-timer, but all of them were were named to the NFL All-Decade Team of the 1940s. And, and mm. that piece uh, I like a lot because it has actual snow on the ground, not the actual snow, but depiction of snow on the ground. So uh, that was a cool piece as well. Of course, being a huge Dolphin fan, uh, I could not include one of my Dolphin pieces in here. And uh, in tribute to Bob Greasy and Larry Zonka, there's the perfect season, which shows them handing Bob Greasy yeah. handing off to Larry Zonka during the 1972 
perfect season. Yeah. I like the 72 stand in the background, just, you know, how you got the 72 in there, just to note it. Right. (laughs) And then um, I also got into collecting, uh, after I had finished the collection in 2015, I I decided to uh, keep the collection going by finding the Hall of Famers in their college uniforms. So the fifth one, uh, again, inspired by a painting by uh, another sports artist by the name of Arnold Freiberg, and it's called The Passing Game. And this is probably my my favorite individual uh, McFarlane, and it shows Don Hudson in his Alabama Crimson Tide uniform uh, receiving a pass in his, you know, style that, he, that you see in a lot of photos. And the ball is suspended over his head. It's a, it's a really, yeah. it's to me, I, I could see this piece sitting in the Hall of Fame for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And with that. Uh, the number six, um, one of my favorite quarterbacks of all time from the Giants, Wyatt Tittle, in a famous game in in 1964. This is this comes from another photograph. He had just iconic thrown a pick six had been whacked in the head and he's sitting in the yep. Pittsburgh Steelers end zone with blood stripping out of his head. I mean, you talk Iconic about the Iron Warrior. It's a, it's a classic yeah. photo. You, you see it in a lot of uh, magazines, but uh, it's one of my favorite hit pieces, uh, so to speak. Uh, Wyatt Tittle in the end zone. Yeah. I, I love that photo. That to me is toughness. Whenever people are like, you know, could a modern day quarterback, you know, put up numbers like they do, you know, back in that era, you know, of, of YA, I point to that photo and I say, no way. Those are my top uh, six. You know, a, a photo that can't be forgotten and a piece, that, you know, to have a, uh, a custom piece like that is just incredible, truly incredible. <laughs> Amazing. Quick question there, Don. Like, like the, the Tony Gonzalez dunking, you know, the picture that you have of it shows him behind the goalpost. You know, how is he suspended in air? Is he, is he attached to the goalpost or is that, you know, they're up. He post? actually is hanging. He's a good question. He's actually oh. hanging. The artist created it so that he's hanging from the goalpost. So it's a, it's a very oh, cool piece. Um, and uh, I got it actually before he became a hall of famer. So th- that's one of the fun things of the collecting. I would collect, uh, McFarland customs that I thought should be in the Hall of Fame, and uh, this one was one of the ones that I collected early before he went into the Hall of Fame. But I, I was pretty confident that he would make it. Uh, oh yeah, wow. There was some some that I have took a took a longer time, but uh, this one I knew was going to no question be it. But I have an Alex Terrace that I had before he was in and put into the Hall of Fame. Um, there have been a few that I bought in advance uh, with the hope that uh, they would get into the hall. Mm, well done. Yeah. That one looks cool. John, I like John, it. John, do you have any uh, collecting stories you'd like to share with our audience uh, that would interest us? Uh, well, maybe a couple. I, I, there's one that uh, in, in the package that I sent you, I rated the number of Hall of Famers that I had by individual, and you may have seen that the number one player that I had was Ted Hendricks. And, of course, he played for 
three NFL teams as well as the University of Miami, so it was easy to come up with a 16. But what's interesting about that is that I actually went to high school with Ted Hendricks in Florida. He was two years ahead of me. I never, I never met him, but I could see him walking the halls because back then he was still six seven, um, and uh, <laughs> so it was kind of, kind of cool that I would ultimately collect somebody that uh, you go to high school with. Other than mm. that, um, as a sidebar to the collection, because of the research that was required. Uh, I ended up with a pretty large collection of your magazine and of the Pro Magazine Hall of Fame edition. So, um, yes, McFarlane was my focus, but I also benefited from the things that I needed to create these McFarlanes. And uh, those two magazines, uh, I have quite a few. Yeah. I noticed Ted Hendricks, obviously, you have 11 of those from the NFL, five from college, Bobby Lane. Interestingly enough, what, what's what's up with you know? You have him as you know the ones the Doak and the boys. Well, I mean, why I mean obviously, I have him in numerous Detroit Lion poses. I have him in numerous um, other poses as well. And um, and his college, he played for Texas, so I have him in a few of the Texas poses. But I when I grew, I mentioned to you that I watched a lot of football growing up and Bobby Lane at that time before, you know, Dan Marino and Bob Gacy came in was my favorite quarterback. I, I just thought that he brought a lot to the game in terms of his feistiness and yeah. how he stood in the pocket. And um, so obviously I commissioned them quite a few of them just to get it right. Sometimes, you know, the artist would do a good job, but you're always looking for the, for the perfect, figurine. I ended up with, I think, 15 of his. Uh... Total, yeah. Sammy Bob. Yeah. This is just a great list. Ted Hendricks, for those listening, Ted Hendricks at 16, Bobby Lane at 15, Sammy Baugh, slinging Sammy at 11, Dan Marino, obviously a you know Dolphin Hall of Famer at 10, Ollie Madsen, Crazy Legs Elroy, Bobby Waterfield uh, at 9, Zonka. Nine, Paul Warfield, the amazing Paul Warfield at eight, Nick Bonacani at eight. That's a, you have yeah. you have 106 figurines of of those ten of those ten gentlemen. Right. Yeah. So they represented you know about eight percent of the of the collection. Uh, Joe should like uh, Bob Waterfield, isn't he a graduate of Oregon? U of O. Yeah, he went he went to U of O. Yeah, him and Dan yeah. Fouts. Oregon has yeah. a history of uh, churning out some good quarterbacks uh, and, and some not-so-good ones. <laughs> yeah, I have a very, very nice-looking Bob Waterfield in his Oregon Ducks uh, uniform. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Just impressive. I, I dig it. It's just uh, it's just pretty cool. And, and seriously, I can't, and just going over this, uh, you know, this catalog you put together, I just uh, – it's just, it's very cool. It's so organized. The Bronco, Nagurski, Don Hudson, I mean, most artistic. I mean, and you, you catalog this so well. The Jim Thorpe, Ernie Nevers, Ollie Madsen, Don Hudson one looks amazing. I love how the football is up on a stand and he's just, yeah, that, you know, that's why I was grabbing saying, it. My, that was number five on the list. Yeah. The Paul Horning one for the most realistic that you have looks incredible. Uh, Charlie Choo Choo Justice, that's one of my favorite nicknames, Choo Choo. 
yeah, I'm, I'm just scrolling through this again. It just looks cool. You, you've picked, I mean, it's, it's so, you know, swathed in NFL history. I mean, you've got names in your, you know, Blood McNally, John Blood McNally. I mean, Mike Ditka, Guy Chamberlain, Turk Edwards. I mean, these are names that, unless you're a nerd collector like us, most people haven't heard of them. You're immortalizing them you know, in, your, in your McFarland, and I dig it. Well, again, I, I give yeah. your magazine a lot of credit because a lot yeah. of the, the stories that were written, you know, whether it be Red Grange or whoever, uh, would inspire me to say, you know what? Yeah. I, I, I'd rather have a, a nicer-looking McFarland uh, for that particular individual. So, you know, kudos to you guys and, and uh, keep keep the good work yeah. coming. Uh, hopefully, with the Red Grange article you re- you re- read that I wrote. Uh, what do you What are you looking for? What's on your want list? I mean, you have eleven hundred McFarlands custom made, Hall of Famers, yeah. future Hall of Famers, incredible. Uh, what else? Yeah. You got? What, 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 well, what's here's, the light whale? here's here's the issue, guys. Uh, <laughs> I think I mentioned to you when we first talked a couple of weeks ago. Uh, my wife and I have just moved to a fourteen hundred square foot uh, condo. Uh, so. <laughs> So wow. all that collection is in storage right now. Uh, I'm contemplating, you know, what to do. Uh, I've actually thought of donating it to the Hall of Fame. I have not talked to them yet, but um, I, I just don't want to be putting these back on eBay. I, I don't want. I don't. I'm, be, I'm retired. I don't don't want to have the hassle of going through eBay and, and trying to sell off 1,400. Uh, but that being said. If I were to continue this collection, what I would do is I am missing because I, I mentioned to you that I had completed it totally through 2016. So I'm missing about 16 players from the 17, 18, 19, and of course a huge class in, 19, in uh, 2020. Uh, so I would obviously collect those. And then finally, in a diorama, the, the diorama that I would love to have is those of you who may have seen the Dolphin Raider game, that picture of Ryan Fitzpatrick's head being pulled in one direction and throwing a no pass would make a perfect McFarland. So <laughs> I would love to see I would commission that tomorrow. I still may commission that and just have it as a piece in the den. But uh, so – to answer your question, I'm, I'm not sure what's going to happen to this collection, but uh, it was definitely 20 years in the making and a lot of fun, and uh, and it really brought back a lot of memories from childhood. And my my degree in university is in history, so it, it brought a lot of history from football that uh, that I wanted to find some way to keep it going. Mm, wow. That's great. That's great. John, do you have any advice for any be- for a beginning collector who m- may be thinking about entering collecting statues, McFarland, so on and so forth? Yeah, I I, I think it's very simple. Maybe this goes contrary to the collecting um, field, but I think you should collect what you're passionate about and not worry about the investment portion of it. Uh, if you're looking for a financial return, I'm not sure. If, if I was going to do that, I don't know if I would, would have created or 
collected 1,400 McFarlane. So I think be passionate and collect that. Two, I would be focused. So rather than, for instance, in my case, rather than collecting all the McFarlane's that were ever created, I focused in on the Hall of Fame, and, and that helped. Mm. And yeah. and finally, <laughs> family has to come first. Uh, you know, pay pay for your wedding, pay for your children's tuition before you start <laughs> spending five hundred thousand dollars <laughs> on a green jersey. Hey, I resemble so that. That's uh, great Those advice to say the least. Wow. Yeah. Again, John, seven kids. You, you got family first in there somewhere. Yeah. How, how's, the, how's the counterfeit market? We, we have problems in the mainstream football hobby with resealed football wax packs, fake autographs, fake jerseys, trimmed yeah. cards. I mean, well, how, how's that look in this uh, sector of the hobby? Yeah. It, it isn't an issue because, remember, these artists, they're, they're, these are one of a kind, right? So you really, unless you're trying to, uh, and it wouldn't make sense, if you could buy uh, a Tom Brady for $15 at Toys R Us, you know, why would, why would somebody put it, be putting it on, uh, on eBay for $50? Like, it, you know, you don't, you don't see that. You don't see that in, this, in the custom of Farland collectible industry. You don't, you don't see that. That isn't an, an issue. Hmm. Okay. So is it pretty prevalent? Is it just something to be wary of? So, you know, if it's too, too cheap to be true, you know, if it's too good to be true price wise. It probably is kind of thing. I mean, what, what's some advice? You uh, have yeah, somebody but you don't, I mean, again, I, I would encourage yourselves and the listeners to go on eBay and just type in custom McFarland's and you'll see the, the plethora of available. And it's not just football. There's customs in baseball and basketball, but mostly you'll see in the football arena. So it's, it's difficult to, when you say have a counterfeit one. There's not that isn't you know that isn't possible. <laughs> you've created if you've created Bert. one, it's a piece of art, right? So, Bert. but they'll they'll be clearly marked. Is it a custom McFarlane or is it an original McFarlane? And if it's an original McFarlane other than for the collector that wants to keep them in their packages, um, you know, I, I, I don't see that that would ever be an issue of people selling McFarlane's that are fake. Well, that's good for the market then, knowing that. I mean, uh, compared to like what we see in cards, you know, as Joe brought up, uh, you know, that that's, that's a good sign for the, for that, for that type of market for those, for the McFarlane. So, that's interesting to know also. John, we're almost out of time. Any final thoughts? Well, I, again, I, I thank you all for, for allowing me to talk about my passion and, uh, and keep that magazine going because it brings a lot of uh, history and honoring these players that uh, without them, these current players wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't have the luxury that they have today. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate it. John, thanks for being here. Said it many times. And, uh, Said many. An amazing collection. Truly amazing. Uh, and uh, to let our listeners know, John is going to be featured in the spring issue of Gridiron Grace magazine as our super collector. So we'll have some of those pictures of what he has described tonight uh, in the magazine for everyone to see. And uh, it's, it's going to be 
incredible to see in print. That's all I can say. John, hmm. thanks for being on. We appreciate Thank it. you both. Thank you. Really appreciate it. All right, Joe, we're going to wrap things up. We're down to a few minutes. We're going to go into our two-minute warning and wrap-up. I'm going to hand off to you now what you pick up on tonight's show. Shoot, boy. Man, oh, man. How cool is this? These these are just nods to the football greats. And some of these are so well done. Uh, it's just it's pretty cool, but I, I agree with what John said. It is, you know, a slippery slope, but just kind of that rabbit hole of just, you know, coming up with scenes and, uh, you know, seeing cool things that you want recreated. Uh, and we, yeah, it, it, it's it's got to be tough. I mean, some of these are amazing. Yeah, I I, I was when I when I got the uh, emails and, and looking at all the uh, the the pieces of the book and so on and so forth, I was just floored, just floored by the sheer volume of what was there, the uh, beauty of them. I mean, they're just so nice to display. I mean, they're, you know, they're they're very very pleasing to look at and you can ponder the scene, the player and think back to the history of that player or the scene so on and so forth. And I think that that really makes them a very uh, unique and educational collectible on top of it, you know, Um, and to have 1400 of them, is just, uh, you know, to me incomprehensible in a way, but uh, what a collection. I got to say, John's been a subscriber to GG for many, many years one of our few Canadian subscribers. I also have to mention um, the Canadian Football League Alumni Association also subscribes to our magazine. I've been in, in touch with them oh, nice. several times, and um, uh, they're very interested in, in what we do with players. A lot of them do have a history in the CFL also. And, again, the CFL, is, I've always felt, was underrated because there are some great players, great games, great dynasties of that league, and uh, – Sometimes it's over overlooked in the history of the NFL. So uh, they're still there. They're still functional. Hopefully they'll be on the field uh, in 21 playing. But getting back to John's collection, just, just truly amazing. Truly amazing. Oh. And it sounds like I misspoke. For some reason, I thought I, he had 1,100. It was 1,400. I, 14, I, I hate 14, 1,400. Under-guessing yeah. under yeah. someone's the, – the breadth of someone's collection. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Just, uh, again, just cool. There were there, – you know, he rattled off his top ten. And what's funny is uh, I have a short attention span. I didn't notice the, the header was top ten. And as I was scrolling through that, I'm like, Doak and the boys, you know, the, you know, just, you know, the Dwight Clark, the catch. I was like, God, these are so good. Uh, yep. And it was just kind of cool, you know, because those were some of my favorites. And it was cool to hear him say, these are my favorites. I'm like, man, all right, at least we're on the same page there. Yeah, yeah. All right, we're almost out of time. Check out our website, gridirongreatsmagazine.com. If you're not a subscriber, what are you waiting for? Gridirongreatsmagazine.com. Joe, back to you. 20 seconds. Final thoughts. Hope to to talk to you before or after the Super Bowl, Captain, but if not, then I'm sure our our text chat amongst our friends will be active and, uh, and fun. And we'll see if Mr. Brady... Adds another ring to his collection. <laughs> Truly amazing. <laughs> Truly amazing. And again, I gotta. I just want to, in like ten seconds or less, I, I truly am amazed in my lifetime viewing the collections I've viewed over the years. And John is right up there 
uh, with the, you know one of the top ten collections I've ever seen. It just it just amazes me, and I'm so happy I've been able to to share these with the football collecting community because uh, they definitely need to be preserved and they definitely need to be uh, shown to the to the public. All right, we're almost out of time. Thanks for listening. Joe, we'll be back next month for a few more episodes. GridironGreatMagazine.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.